0: The following message is a part of the Teaching Ministry of Grace Bible Church of Fairburn, Georgia, also on the web at gracebible.faith. That's gracebible.faith. My name is David Cronin, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Bible Church in Fairburn, and also on the web at gracebible.faith. That is gracebible.faith. And here at Grace Bible Church, we're working our way through the book of James. And this last Sunday, we worked through the 11th major section of the book of James, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, which reads as follows. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure, behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth you have lived luxuriously on the earth and have led a life of wanton pleasure you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter you have condemned and put to death the righteous man he does not resist you So as you can see, this section is in many ways quite unique for the book, as it's the only time that directly and exclusively addresses unbelievers, and in such is also an unqualified rebuke. James speaks plainly and forthrightly of their imminent judgment, and offers no prospect of being restored. So it's a hard section, but one that I ultimately viewed as quite pastoral too. Now, because of the severity of the rebuke and the nature of the language employed, I reminded everyone that James has been building this case against the rich from the beginning of the book. Specifically, the unrighteous rich who are pursuing temporal treasures with no view to God and in such are willing to exercise this pursuit by way of doing harm to the righteous. In chapter 1, we noted the fleeting glories of those pursuing the riches of man. But the brother of humble circumstance is to boast in his high position, and the rich man is to boast in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. That was chapter 1, verses 9-11. through Then in chapter 2, we noted the unrighteous rich abusing the courts and blaspheming Christ. But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you, and they themselves drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the good name by which you have been called? Chapter 2, verses 6 to 7. So, this two-part indictment in chapter 5 does not really come at much of a surprise to us, though it is certainly the most comprehensive expression of this strong theme for James. And I broke these two indictments up into four parts, crying, an accusation of wicked indulgence, the indictment, and a closing rebuke. And with this, I noted that both indictments share these common elements and in the same order. The first indictment, verses 1 through 3, was by way of their relationship to property, that which they have wickedly obtained and selfishly hoarded for themselves with a view to, uh, without a view to service to others. The second indictment, verses 4 through 6, was by way of their relationship to others, abusing those under their authority by way of keeping back what was due them, while also engaging in morbid self-indulgence and luxurious living. Now, while there was a parallel pattern between these two indictments, there were also distinctions and with how a given element played out. This was perhaps most plain with the two expressions of crying. The first indictment is where James commands the unrighteous to cry, the righteous rich to cry, thereby laying the foundation for the weight of their judgment. And I view this command as being of a like nature to Jesus' one command for others to cry, a command that came as he was being led to the cross and some of the women were weeping for him. Quote, And following him was a large multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus turning to them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop crying for me, but cry for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the rock, to the mountains, Fall on us, into the hills, cover us. Luke 23, verses 27 to 30. This was a, a profoundly weighty command from our Lord. And I genuinely think James would have have us consider his command here in a like manner as such uh, as as such, this command was establishing the unambiguous tone for the whole of this condemning text by contrasting the cries that open the second indictment, uh, by contrast, the cries that open the second indictment, um, specifically the cries of the withheld provisions, and from the workers themselves. So there's a crying out to God for justice amidst their suffering, a cry that the Lord clearly has heard, And is responding to now. And so again, you have that contrast. A command, you cry out because of judgment. And then the contrasting command, uh, excuse me, the contrasting expression of crying of the wages and of the workers themselves. With both sections of the passage, the indictment by way of property and the indictment by way of people, I took time to fill out the accusation and respective indictments while driving to their closing rebukes. The first rebuke was, you've stored up such treasure in the last days a profane hoarding of that which is corroding and failing, and this in the final days, actions that stand in absolute contrast to Jesus' call for our storing up treasures in heaven in Matthew 6. The second and closing rebuke was, you have condemned and murdered the righteous man. He does not resist you. However, I am persuaded that this should be restated as a rhetorical question at the end of there. At the end should be a rhetorical question. Specifically, it would reread, you have condemned and murdered the righteous man. Does God not oppose you? And the implication and the rhetorical nature of it is yes, he does. Now, I know it might sound strange to change a statement to a rhetorical question, but it is a grammatically sound option. Also, it gives the section a clear and firm conclusion while also drawing back on James's other use of this term of resist or oppose. Quote, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed or resist the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That was chapter four, verse six. Now, how might one view such a text as uh, this uh, as being a pastoral text, as I stated at the outset? Well, I would argue that it's quite pastoral for two reasons. First, in the spirit and tone of the Old Testament prophets, the wicked are having their just conclusions declared for all to hear, thereby making it plain that God will indeed deal justly with all men. Second, this section was intentionally tied to the preceding one, where believers are restoratively rebuked for their drifting toward an arrogant ignorance, failing to have a proper view of God in all things, embracing an I will disposition over a I will if God wills. So we have a clear contrast of engagements by the Lord, restoring his beloved and condemning the wicked. And then the next section, which concludes um, with the Lord opposing the wicked, followed by therefore, or thereby building on this righteous rebuke and turning our attention to the Lord's return. That would be the next portion of chapter 5, when all such things will be made right for those who have persevered and have been found approved. So once again, you have the restorative rebuke of a like nature, to the believers, this condemnation of the wicked, unjust, unrighteous persons who are opposing the believers, and then a view in light of these things to the Lord's return, at which time justice will be fully satisfied. So that brings us to a a conclusion of our review of James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. For access to the full message that we've reviewed today, you can go to our website at GraceBible.Faith. That's gracebible.faith. And here you can access all of our messages in James, as well as our other studies in both video and audio formats, which are also available on YouTube and Spotify, linked through our website. Now, I hope that our study together in James has been and will continue to be a blessing to you as we all pursue the aim of being made perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing as we walk in the wisdom from above. Grace and peace to you all.